So uh, we're in part two of a series, which is also the middle part, because this is a very short series. We're just going through the book of Luke chapter 14. We're talking this table talk because uh, table talk, this whole chapter takes place when Jesus is sitting at a table, dining and talking to people. And he has some really deep conversations when he's at the table, as I think a lot of people do. I think when we're eating and we're sitting at the table, face-to-face, knee-to-knee, I think we have some deep, important conversations. So, um, yeah, we're looking at Luke chapter 14. Last week, we looked at the first section, which is up to verse 14. Today, we're going to be looking from verse 15 to verse 24. So if you want to follow along, you can. Today, uh, we're going to be starting off by looking at a question that uh, I think some people have asked me before. I don't know if you, know, you, you ask these questions, but this question to me is actually very important because as a pastor, I need to find out, I've got to figure out where is the best place to be. I mean, Christianity, there's this huge spectrum, right? And the question is, where, where in the spectrum are we supposed to land? You know, we don't want to be too far in one direction. We don't want to be too far in the other direction. What is the perfect balance? And when we start looking for that balance in our faith, uh, we usually, I usually come across this question, and which is this, is, is Christianity all about blessings? And let me unpack this for you for a second. For some of you, there's highs and lows in your faith, like, hey, today I feel really close to God, today I feel kind of far, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but for some reason, I've noticed that people tend to feel closer to God or they're more motivated to follow God or chase after God or read the Bible or pray more, especially when you're in need of something. So I'll give you an example. Let's just say you're in need of healing. And so you go and say, God, would you please bless me with your healing? Or some other people will say, you know, I, I, need, I need financial assistance. God, would you somehow help me win the lottery? Or would you help me get that raise? Or would you help me get that job? And, you know, each of these things that we're asking God, these are not bad things. Like, I don't want you to feel like these are bad things, bad examples. These are okay examples. Um, or maybe you're saying, God, would you please give me success? I want to do better at what I'm doing right now. Would you please give me success? I want power. I want, you know, I want special abilities I, you know, or or for some of you you're like hey you know i i'm looking for purpose and like this is a good thing to ask for purpose is a good thing right and so some of you would say you know i feel like i need to follow god because i'm looking for purpose or maybe for for you it's it's fulfillment i, I don't feel satisfied in my life i i, I want to find fulfillment and you know maybe that's your story it's like i started following god because i feel empty in my life i was looking for something that would satisfy me for others of you, maybe it's the emotional high. You know, I feel kind of down right now, but I know that if I p- play that favorite worship song and I sing with my heart to my heart's content, I have this emotional high. And then, you know, then after I get out of Sunday service, I'm like, ah, I feel so good about me, <laughs> right? And for others of you, you're thinking about, well, where do I go after all this is over? Meaning, I go to church, I follow God because I want to get to heaven. And what all these things, each of these things are not bad in themselves, okay? But what, what, I'm, what we're, I'm starting to notice is that there's always a catch there. It's, it's, I'm following God because I want something for myself. So if, you, if we're all honest to some level, we're actually following God because we want to get something out of it. And so the question, is that bad? Is Christianity all about blessings? Is, is Christianity a game of what can I get out of God? And I mean, and, and it's a good question to ask. But, but here's the thing. What happens when there's a drought of blessings? If your life is, is, is situated around God because he is a miracle maker, 
and then for a year you don't see any miracles around you, is that the end of the road for you and your faith? If you're asking God to give you something really big, you're like, I want that relationship to work. I want this, this disease to be cured. I want this, and it doesn't happen. Is that the end of your faith? So, like I said, it's not bad to ask for these things from God, okay? But at the same time, there's a danger in making that the central part of your faith. And Jesus, when we, as we go into Luke chapter 14 from verse uh, 15, will discover that Jesus has a huge issue with this. He has a big problem with this. And so we're going to be looking at it. And by the way, this is, we're going to be going over a parable today. This parable hidden and, and, and like packed inside this parable at the core is Jesus being the most vulnerable you'll probably ever see, hear him talk about. Him. Like he's going to talk about himself in a way that's supposed to make people say, oh my gosh, I had no idea, Jesus. So today what I want you to do is as we go through Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, I want you to pay attention to the heart of God. Like how our behavior of just trying to get something out of God is actually affecting him. So let's start. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. <clears throat> when one of those at the table w- uh, with him heard this, and by this, if you were here last week, what we talked about is he's like, this is, Jesus said, at the end of the story, at the end of all this, one day all of heaven and all of earth is going to come together like a beautiful marriage. And he called out the marriage, the wedding banquet. He said, this is like, there's a big feast that's going to happen. And Jesus is going to come up and say, you know, everybody here, um, the people who contributed to this kingdom happening, I just want to say, hey, you know, Abraham, great job on what you did over there. You know, and, oh, King David, uh, you know, we applaud you. Paul, Apostle Paul, great job. You know, and he's saying, you know, this is possible because you allow God to work through you. And he's kind of going through, you know, that's the great banquet we're talking about. And as these religious people are listening to this, they realize that their tendency of saying, like, you know what you're doing, that's a sin. Hey, you know what you're doing over there? That's, you know, that's against the third commandment. Hey, you know, over there. what he discovers, what he starts to talk about is, as, we, as these people are, like, at the wedding banquet in the future, Jesus makes a point by saying, these people who are extremely religious, they're not going to be recognized at the banquet. Do you think the world is getting better when somebody points to somebody and says, hey, you're a sinner? Right? Do you think the world is better because somehow you memorize more verses than somebody else? Do you think the kingdom of God is, is, is more realized here on earth because you somehow worked your way up the religious ladder of Christianity? To which Jesus would say, no. It doesn't really help this faith, this movement at all. And so after he finished telling that story, you see, so this is what they mean by this. He said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, in the way he said this, this person who heard this story and is is telling this to Jesus, there's a little bit of, of a tone here that we might miss in the translation. So what I did for all of us is that I created something called the Katsa Simplified Version. That's my Bible, okay? Okay, so it's called the KSV. So this is what this would be. He's like, after hearing a sermon about God's great exclusive party, the man asks, so, um, I'm in, right? <laughs> That's basically what he's saying here. Like, hey, it's so blessed, it's so fortunate, it's so blessed to uh, be a part of that banquet, right, Jesus? He's, That's code for, so uh, I'm in, right? And so Jesus goes into this parable. He's like, okay, well, let me tell you a story and let that parable help you answer that question. He's like, okay, okay. So this is the parable. Jesus said, 
he replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now, I'm going to stop a lot through this sermon, through this passage right here, to explain some of the nuances of this that we might miss in today's world because there's a lot of cultural context that, that you have to put into consideration to understand this. Okay, so he starts off by saying there was a man who was going to have a great party, a great banquet, okay, and we'll interpret that later, and he invited many, many people to come to this party. Okay, so far, pretty clear, right? Now, here's the part where it's a little different from today's world, okay? Back in those days, if you had a big party, you would have two invitations. The first invitation goes out months and months in advance. So think of it as like a save the date kind of thing, except save the date isn't the official invitation, but back then, that save the date was the invitation. So months in advance, you will get a letter or maybe somebody will come and, uh, you know, announce it to you. And they will say, hey, uh, six months from now, we're going to have a great banquet. Are you in or are you out? And at this point, you have to give an answer. So at that point, you'll probably say yes, because what we'll discover later on is that this man who's throwing the party is a wealthy guy. So you're going to say yes, okay? So that's the first invitation. The second invitation happens on the day of the banquet. It's kind of like a formality. So like a servant or a slave will come to your house and say, uh, the meal is ready, you could come now. So the first invitation tells you when it's going to happen, what day it's going to happen. The second invitation happens so that you know when on that day to show up. Are you guys following so far? Because you gotta understand this to understand the next verse. Okay, next verse. <laughs> At the time of the banquet, so now we're fast forwarding to the day of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. And when he says ready, he's talking about the food has been prepped, the fattened calf has been killed, the, 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 the decorations are up. And for the months, you know, like let's just say six months that this thing was, was in process of being developed, everybody in town was talking about it. Everyone's like, hey, did you hear Katz is having a big party? Who's going? He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm not invited, but I know that guy down the street. It's like, oh, he, oh, wow. Everybody's talking about who's going to be at this party. And not only that, today we think of like, pri- like private banquets as actually being private. In those days, there weren't like walls that's, you know, like the doors were, were open, the windows were always open. And so even though it was a private event, you could walk by the person's house and see who's inside. This is also why when Jesus, in some of the other stories, when Jesus is having a private dinner with, with some people, there's other people around the house because they just want to hear or just see Jesus eating in front of them. So, so even though it's private, it's a public event. Everybody knows who's invited by the time the actual party starts. So the day of the banquet comes, okay, and now... The, the inviter sends out his servants to say, <clears throat> me, 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 your dinner is now ready. You may come now. Now, at this point in the story, something weird happens. Let's take a look. But they all alike began to make excuses. Now, the nature of the excuses are very, very important. Let's look at that. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Okay. First, we have to understand this. A field is rarely or actually never purchased without it being inspected first. So this person says, I can't make it to the party. Oh, why? Uh, because I just bought a field and uh, the day of the feast is when I have to go check out what the land that I've already bought. Like as he's saying it, he realizes that it's a really weird excuse. Another thing that you, I want you to know is... In those days, on the other side of the world, in Israel, 
It's not like there was some open plot of land that you could just buy. All the land has been dispersed already. So in order for you to buy land, okay, what you have to do is you have to go find a poor person who owns land, who couldn't pay their loans, and so they had to forfeit their land, and then a rich person comes and snatches it away. So already from this story, we know that this person is a wealthy person, this person who's invited, and he's actually making profit off the people who can't make payments. He's a wealthy man because he made his riches off the backs of poor people. So these are two things we know. He has, this is a really bad excuse, and that we know that he's also very rich. Are you following so far? That's the first person. Second person. Another said, <clears throat> the second person said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. In a yoke, there's two oxen, so there's ten. He's buying ten oxen here. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Once again, you never, ever, ever buy oxen without trying them out first. So again, this excuse is bad. Okay? Also, if you do some cultural work and historical work in that area, what you'll discover is that most people in that area, depending on how big their size of the land is, but on average, people own two oxen because that's all they needed to plow their land. If this person has 10 or more, because it just says that he bought 10, right? So he might have had a few before that. It tells you how big this person's land is. Once again, this is a wealthy person who made his riches off the backs of poor, the poor people. Okay, so those are the first two. Person one, he bought land. Second person, he bought oxen. They both have bad excuses for not showing up to this party. And then the third one, he says, I just got married and I can't come. Now, is this a weird excuse? Okay, first what we have to know is that getting married in those days was a blessing. Well, it still is today, I guess, right? (laughs) I didn't mean anything bad by that. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing. I mean, yeah, if you're getting married, then yeah, that's a pretty good reason for you not to come to this party. But keep in mind, the RSVP went out way early. So for you to say, I'm going to plan a wedding today is irresponsible of you. To say, oh yeah, yeah, uh, let's pick a wedding day. I think we're going to pick this day. But isn't that day the day that Koss is throwing his party? Yeah, I don't care. Let's do it today. Like, that's irresponsible. And not only that, let's just say that wedding was planned before. I sent out my invitation. And in that case, why did he say yes in the first place? Right? So either way, again, this is a bad excuse. But, in, okay, here's a little Jewish humor. Um, Jesus, I think he was trying to hint and nudge here, and because it was inappropriate, he had to kind of do it this way. So I want to kind of walk you through some Jewish humor that's 2,000 years old. Okay, so next. So the first guy, he says, I got a field, right? I just bought one, right? And there's a secondary action, which is, I have to try it out, right? So therefore, I can't come, right? That's, that's how it is, right? The second guy, he says, oh, I just some, got some oxen, right? And uh, I have to try it out, secondary action, and therefore, I can't come. So when Jesus talks about the third one, he says this. He says, I just got a wife, and then Jesus actually just stays silent because he's kind of doing a hint and nudge nudge here, right? And so he says, so I can't come. So in case you're like, what, what, what's the excuse for the third guy? That's the excuse. You could fill in the question marks there if you like. <laughs> but this is, if you understand the l- literature back then, this is how they hinted at things. Okay, anyways. Okay, but the point here is these three are considered to be rich and blessed, right? 
And basically, they ha- this is the life that every Jewish person wants back then. They wanted land, they wanted oxen, they wanted, you know, they wanted a wife, and they wanted all, you know, th- this is the, the dream of the, the Jewish men 2,000 years ago. Okay, so if I were to interpret what we just read right now in the KSV, the Katsu Simplified Version, this is what it would say. Three wealthy men were desperately trying to excuse themselves from a commitment to the great banquet. Months ago, they said, yes, I will commit to being at your party. And all of a sudden, on the day of, after all the food's been set up, everything's been set up, all the money's been spent, they said, sorry, I got to come up with an excuse. Uh, I'm busy today because fill in the blank with something that might, you know, like, like, why would they do this? So as you're hearing this story from Jesus, and you're sitting at the banquet, right, at the table across the, ta- across the table from Jesus, this is what's going through your mind about this story, is something happened between the day of the first invitation and the day of the banquet. Something must have happened that made them change their mind. What is it that, I, like, 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 well, do they hate him all of a sudden? Is that why? Is it because there's some shame involved? Like, why, why would these guys all of a sudden change their mind and not have the decency to tell them, like, no, I can't go? Like, wh- what's going on here? And so the question that they're probably asking is this. Well, what changed their mind? What's going through their brain? Like, why would they commit to going to this party and, and all of a sudden say, I'm not going to go on the day of? So to understand this, we have to look at Israel history. Because remember, this is a parable. And as Jesus is telling this parable, these, I'm going to share with you some of the things that's going through the minds of the people who are here in this story. Okay, and so I'm going to take you back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, there's a guy named Abraham. Well, at that time, his name is Abram. Changes to Abraham later. <clears throat> Abram is having this encounter with God for the first time. And God speaks to him and says, the world is in shambles, and I need to fix it. And I'm going to choose you, Abram, to help me do that. Well, how are you going to do that, God? Well, this is how I'm going to do it. Here's the basic plan, and I've summarized it for you. He says, I, God, am going to bless you, Abram, and in turn, with the blessings, you're supposed to go and bless the world. Pretty simple, right? Like, I know you have nothing right now, Abram. But I'm going to give you things. I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm going to help you escape the fires of this world. And in turn, you're supposed to use those blessings to bless the people around you. Got it? It's like, got it. And as, if you know Jewish history, Abraham, Abram, had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and basically became a nation, right? And that nation was supposed to continue on that tradition of God blessing them so they could bless the world. That was the basic agreement between Abram and God. That was it, okay? So as we look through the pages of the Old Testament, what we discover is this. The first part, which is God's part, he actually fulfills that part. He blesses them over and over and over and over and over and over again. A nation that's always under attack somehow survives. God is blessing them. A nation that keeps betraying God, God keeps blessing them. No matter what the circumstance, God keeps on doing his part of the deal. And so that is represented in the parable by the three people. These people have a lot of money. These people, I don't know what it is, how they got the money, but God has blessed them. Enough money to buy land. Enough money to buy oxen. Enough money to get the wife of your dreams, because back then it was more of a business arrangement back then. 
<clears throat> but when he came to the second part, so that you will bless others, they said, uh, wait, wh- wh- what do you mean by others, God? Oh, by others, I mean people who are not you. <laughs> like, and people who are not like you. Well, what I mean by that are like people who are poor, people who are crippled, people who are blind, people who are lame. These are the people, the people who are not Jewish, people who are on the outside of your borders. These are the people you're supposed to bless. So the question again is this, what changed their minds? What they discovered <clears throat> is this, they became more attached to the blessings of God than the mission of God. God had a mission for these people. And so just imagine, so we're going back to the whole wedding banquet thing, right? <clears throat> Jesus is saying, we are about to have a major banquet. We're going to have a big party to celebrate how heaven and earth came together, how everything is now set right, how everything is the way it's supposed to be. So I want everybody who is a part of it to come to my party. And all of a sudden, these people who are supposed to attend this party are saying, yeah, on second thought, we don't, we're not interested in going anymore. Well, why not? It's because they love the I will bless you part, but they did not like so I will bless others part. They love the blessings of God, but they didn't really like the mission of God. When God blessed them, they would rather just hold on to it and hoard the things that God has given them rather than using it to do what God wanted them to do in the first place. This is why they're like, we don't want to go to the party anymore. This is what changed in their hearts. So the story continues. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Master, master, you know those people who said they would come to the party like months ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, they just said that they're busy. They can't come. How do you think the host of this party reacted? This is what it says. Then the owner of the house became angry. Now, the word angry here, because this is written in Greek 2,000 years ago, um, there's many words that he used for the word anger, and this is not the word of anger that you might think. The word here is better translated as irritated. Like the guy who's like, I, 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 I did so much. I blessed so many people. I, I, I killed a fattened calf. I have all this food and decoration, and they just, they just gave the worst <laughs> excuse ever, right? He wasn't angry. It, was like he was, it says that he was frustrated. That might be a better translation. He was provoked. He was, he was feeling like betrayed. That's the feel, do, you, do you understand the feeling that he's feeling right here? This is Jesus saying, this is how I feel. I've blessed humanity for years and years and years, generation after generation after generation. I've done everything that I, I we, made a, we made a deal. I said, I would take care of you. And I did. Even when you turned your backs on me, I kept on making sure you were safe. I did everything I can to make sure that you are blessed so that you could go and bless other people. But you just decided to hoard the blessings for yourself. So you could understand the frustration of God here. And so he continues, he became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Wait, what did he do? Now, some people might think, okay, uh, hey, we have an empty table with uh, food that's already prepared. I don't want it to go to waste, so uh, let's just get some random people in here. That's not what, this, what, what he's implying here. 
What he's saying is this. First, this is the KSV again. The inviter was extremely ashamed. First thing what I want you to know is this. This is a very public affair. Even though it's a private party, it's a public affair. When people say they're going to come, because everybody in town knows who's going to show up already, and they don't show up, it is embarrassing. Imagine this. So about 10 years ago, I got married. And we had an invitation list. We had a cake picked out. We went to the food tasting, and we upgraded our food to the next tier because it was better because it had stuffed chicken rather than just chicken. Yeah, uh, it was so good, so it was worth upgrading. But anyways, right, we had the DJ, we got the lights, you know, we got somebody to come in the lights, and we had somebody bring in, like, all the decorations. You know, we did all that. And not just the ceremony, not just the party, but also the ceremony. We said, hey, we're going to have this person play music. We bought the dresses for the, the, not just for the bride, but also the bridesmaids, right? I rented the tuxes for my, for, for my, for my guys. You know, I did all that. And imagine... The pastor is standing there. My wife and I, we're standing in front of him. We're holding hands. And we look into the group, into the congregation, and we realize nobody's there. But we already reserved the place for the reception. So after the, the empty ceremony, we, we drive over to the reception place. And then DJ's like, everybody put your hands together for the new Mr. and Mrs. Omine, right? And my wife walk in, and there's nobody there. Of course, you know, the best man's like, woo, you know, right? But imagine if that happened to you. How embarrassing. How shameful. What's going through your mind? How heartbreaking. So the inviter was extremely ashamed. And Jesus is saying, this is how I feel. When I bless you and bless you and bless you, and I realize and I discover that you're more concerned about the blessings that you receive than the mission that I have for you. And the second part of the KSV is this. So he decided to pass the invitation to those who were, perp- who were supposed to benefit from the original invitees. Remember, you're supposed to, God blesses you so you can bless others. Who are the others? He's talking about the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And what does this person do? He bypasses the original people in the invitation list and says, okay, if you're not going to bless them, then I'm going to bless them. And so who does he invite? He invites the people that were originally supposed to be beneficiaries of the original inviters, uh, invitees. Do you see what, what, the, what the host is doing here? He's like, you know what? If you're not going to be a part of this movement, then fine. I'll do it myself. Then, in verse 22... Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. But there's still room. There's still, we could still fit more people in this movement. What, what do you want to do? The master, with a little grin in his face, this is what he says. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them, compel, like you have to urge them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, when he talks about roads, the word there, maybe in some of your translations, if you don't use the NIV, it says highways. This is the road that was like the main road for people who are passing by, okay? And, and the word country lanes, in the Greek, the word literally means fence or hedge or the, it's basically the line that you draw right at the edge of your border. So you go to the edge of Israel and say, hey, you foreigner, you guys want to come in? I want to compel you to come to my master's house because this movement is now open to you. Sorry, my people were supposed to go and bless people like you, but they didn't do their job. So now my master is saying, how would you like to come to the house so that you could be directly 
blessed by God. And then he concludes by saying this, I tell you, not one of those, and by those we're talking about the people who were originally invited who turned their backs on God because they really just wanted the blessing for themselves. Those people who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The banquet is not for people who are only looking to receive from God. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to receive from God. I hope that we all receive from God his blessings. And even if you don't want to receive from God, he's going to bless you anyways. Because that's his end of the promise, because he loves you so much. But if you really want to be a part of that grand party at the end, where he says, look, heaven and earth is finally together. We're here to bless, you know, we bless the whole world. What is heaven is now on earth, right? This is amazing. If you want to be at that celebration, you cannot be all about well, I, go, I follow God because of what's in it for me. I go to church because I just want to get to heaven. I pray because when I pray, I get stuff from God. If that's the extent of your faith, Jesus says, then you're not invited. As a matter of fact, you have uninvited yourself from this banquet. He's saying the mission of God is the reason why there's a blessing of God. In other words, he's saying this. God's people were supposed to bless the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and also the foreigners. They were supposed to do this, right? But now, he says, anyone who will commit to God and his mission is invited to the banquet. That's us. That's you. That's me. And what is the mission of God? And if you've been with us through the study of Luke, you'll discover that the mission of God is to love other people in the same way that he's loved us. To love others as Christ has loved us. To love other people selflessly. He says, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to commit your, commit your life to loving the people around you selflessly, he says, then you have a place at the banquet. And so the question that is probably in the minds of the people who are there listening to Jesus tell this story right, is this. Well, do, do, do you prioritize blessings over mission? It, it, like, when I follow Jesus, is it because I just want something from God? Or is it because I want to be a part of, of this mission that Jesus has, that I want to go and bless the world? When I pray, I'm not, you know, and I'm asking God to tell me something for revelation from God. That's good, as long as that is used as fuel to help the people around you. If you're asking God to, for success, that's good, right? As long as you're asking for success so that you can use that success to help the people around you. If you're asking God for power, that's not bad either. As long as you're using the power to break down the barriers between groups of people who just can't get along. Jesus is saying, you guys, you have to understand, my heart is broken because you guys have missed the point. There's two things that Jesus is saying in this parable. The first one is, he's saying, I'm actually being vulnerable with you guys. Let me tell you what it feels like to be God. If you want to know what it feels like to be God, then you have to also understand what it feels to be rejected. You have to understand what it means to be put to shame. You have to, if you want to know what it feels like to be me, you have to understand what it feels like to be misrepresented. 
These people who said that they are, in my name, going to go out into the world and bless the people, and rather they're just hoarding onto the stuff, right? He's saying, these are the people who are supposed to represent me, and now the people they come in contact with think that I'm some angry God that just wants to strike people down, or I'm a God that just likes to point out people's sins all the time, that people think that I'm a God that just blesses a certain race of people, not, you know, like, do you want to know what it feels like to be me? It feels like rejection. It feels like shame. It feels like misrepresentation. If you want to know what it feels like to be God, you need to know what it feels like to be used. This is Jesus being vulnerable with us. That's the first thing Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable. But the second thing he's trying to tell us is, yes, my heart is broken. But my broken heart, God would say, is mended by people who are willing to, to commit to following me and my mission. And so my question for you is this today. Are we guilty of coming to God only for the blessings? Have we committed to God months and months ago, like this banquet? Only months and months later, we turn our backs on him. Have we made promises to him that we didn't keep? Meanwhile, him keeping his promise for us. This is Jesus saying, if you're open to it, I want to ask you to recommit your life to me. This is Jesus saying, I will keep loving you no matter where you stand on this. But if you have broken your commitment to me, the thing that's going to mend my heart is if you will recommit your life back to me and my mission. Have you made following God all about just getting what we can from God. Yes, God is a miracle maker. Yes, he'll make ways for us. He'll do all these things. These are good things. But he's not here to bless you just so that you could feel happy about yourself, just so that you could have all the riches while there's people around you who are getting poorer and poorer. He's like, that's not the point of blessings. The point of blessings is to bring heaven on earth so we could experience heaven together. And if you've forgotten that, Jesus is saying, then you're breaking my heart. But there's a cure for that. If you're willing to recommit yourself to that mission, to back to me. So what I want to do today is I want to have a time of introspection. What I mean by that is for the next few minutes, I want to see, I want to have the Holy Spirit come into our hearts and search through our hearts to see how we backed out on the commitment we made to God maybe years ago. Are we guilty of coming to God only when we need something from him? Are we guilty of breaking his heart? And so as we do that in, in time of introspection, I'm going to have the worship team come up and, and play some music because for me it helps me to concentrate when, when there's some music playing in the background. And during that time, if you feel that God has brought up in your heart, yes, I have betrayed you. Yes, I have used you. Yes, I have misrepresented you. Yes, I have brought shame upon you. Yes, I have rejected you. If you realize that you have done that in any level and that you want to make those wrong things right, that at that point, as God brings those things up into your mind, I, what I want you to do is I want you to take the time to say, Jesus, I want to recommit myself to you. For some of you, maybe you haven't made that commitment in the first place. If that's you, this will be a great time to make that first-time commitment saying, Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want to commit my life to following you 
and placing you above the blessings that come with you. Maybe for you, you're like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm following Jesus because I just want to get to heaven one day. Oh, I'm just following God because I heard that there's blessings. Or, hey, I'm following God because uh, I'm looking for him to do some miracle in my life. If that's you, this is the perfect opportunity for you to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to recommit myself to your mission. I want to recommit myself to loving the people around me in the way that you have loved me. Amen? All right, let's pray.